Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamers official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey. Joining me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, Kat. Uh, we have a pretty big episode to cover today, don't we? A lot's happened this week. Yeah, stacked episode. We are going to be covering all of the big news that is coming out, including Fire Emblem, the original, being localized on the Nintendo Switch. We had a top 25 PlayStation 2 list. And also, we have already learned about Assassin's Creed Valhalla's expansions because they leaked. It's great. They did. Like everything else, they just leaked. We're also going to talk a little bit about Torchlight 3, a Nintendo Switch, and Crown Tundra DLC, which is now out for the Pokemon Sword and Shield. But that is not even our main topic. Our main topic is the continuation of the console RPG quest for the Xbox One this time around. We are skipping ahead, Nadia. Because we are just three short weeks away from the release of the Xbox Series X and PS5, assuming the United States is still here. (laughs) Assuming it's not like a big smoking crater on the ground. um, If that's the case, maybe I'll just kind of secure a PlayStation 5 for myself and play it all in your memory. (laughs) The end of the world as we know it. But I feel fine because I'm playing on my PS5. Yeah, may as well. What else are you going to do at the end of the world? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, we got a lot to cover, so let's get right to it. Before we get to all of that, a little housekeeping. As always, if you enjoy the show, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or the podcatcher of your choice. It brightens your day and helps the visibility of the show. You can follow me on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford, and I stream on Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday on Twitch at twitch.tv slash TV, Nadia starts streaming Super Robot Wars Z recently. Oh, how's that going for you? Really well. I have a localizer of the Super Robot Wars series uh, helping me out. Her name is Christina. Oh, nice. She knows even more about the series than I do. That's hard to imagine, but I guess someone <laughs> has to know more. She knows about the really esoteric games. It's pretty wild. Oh, really? So that's really cool. That's a really good, that's a really good guest to score for your streams. Yeah, so we had a lot of fun streaming the first few chapters of Super Robot Wars Z last Monday, had a great crowd, and we'll be back at it on Monday. I usually stream around 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, and it's really great. It's been nice having some people coming in and sharing their thoughts, talking about the podcast. It's a good group. Also, I'm working on emojis. Yeah, I showed the I showed one to you, Nadia. It was very cute. It was very cute. I, I look forward to to using it when it's complete. <laughs> that that that's we all know. That's the point of going on Twitch is to use emojis over and over yeah, again. Yeah, you just, just spam, them. spam them. You don't talk. You just spam emojis. That that's apparently a new language. We also have a newsletter that comes out every single Wednesday. Nadia, what was the newsletter topic this week? Well, on the cusp of all these cool new consoles coming out, I was just talking a little bit about, in the past, whether or not you have bought consoles exclusively for their RPG libraries, because I can personally say I almost certainly bought my PlayStation exclusively for Final Fantasy VII, Wild Arms, Breath of Fire 3, and not to say I didn't get more games, of course, I was really big into Mega Man, so of course Mega Man X4 was in there as well, but... When you look back at my PlayStation history, I didn't play a lot of Crash. I didn't play a lot of Jumping Flash. I didn't even play a lot of the horror games like Resident Evil or Silent Hill. I was just like, 
I want to play RPGs. I was really, really into RPGs at the time. So, well, I need a PlayStation for that. And that became very apparent once I got my N64. <laughs> so I can say that was one time when I actually did buy a console almost strictly for the RPGs. I don't know that I ever have, actually. It's not a very good thing to do in a business sense. It makes very little sense. But when you're young and stupid and have money to blow, you may as well. I mean, when I was much younger, I got a console because I because I was a Nintendo fan. I, I bought the GameCube, right? I was playing Smash Brothers, Metroid, and Zelda. That's what I wanted to play. Yeah, no, I, I started, of course, on the N6, uh, sorry, on the Nintendo. And even though I did play RPGs there, like I did love, of course, Dragon Quest, but that was really all I played for RPGs on the NES. It wasn't until the SNES I really got into them. I mean, I didn't get into RPGs properly, arguably, until the PlayStation era. But even then, even as much as I love JRPGs on the original PlayStation, I got a GameCube before I got a PlayStation 2. Yeah, that definitely happened with me, too. Because even though, yes, I am a major RPG fan, I am also a major Nintendo fan. So it's kind of a, well, was it going to buy the GameCube for the first party stuff? Or was it going to buy a PlayStation 2 for the third party stuff? And GameCube won out at first. Well, in hindsight, it was really dumb because I should have gotten a PlayStation 2. What was I even thinking? <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, GameCube had definitely some great games, but as far as RPGs went, well, we did our RPG console quest for GameCube, didn't we? Yes, we did. Yes. And so you can kind of... The, the selection was... It was there. <laughs> you had, you yeah, had games. There were games. It had good games that gave me a lot of quality hours, but when that summer of 2004, when I had no internet and I was sitting in a sweltering apartment swarming with bugs. I think the PS2 would have uh, helped, <laughs> kept me a little more sane. I hope you write a book about your experiences playing <laughs> a PlayStation 2 in a sweltering apartment full of bugs. Anyway, our newsletter comes out every single Wednesday. You can subscribe to it. It'll come into your mailbox. It's great. Okay, Nadia, let's continue on to the news. First item of business. It's not, it's kind of a, um, hmm... Sweet and sour, I want to say. The sweet is that Fire Emblem, the original, is coming out on Nintendo Switch, the one from the NES. Yes, that's really, really interesting. Um, that's definitely out of left field. One of those things you wake up and you see the news and you just have to blink twice because you're still half asleep. Yeah, it really was. Nobody was expecting that. People would have been expecting, say, Mother 3, but... For Nintendo to localize the original Fire Emblem for NES is definitely a very pleasant surprise. I wonder if they did it with all of the Fire Emblem heroes money. <laughs> Probably all the money strictly from you. And they also are releasing a really sick limited edition, which I, of course, immediately pre-ordered because I am such a mark, Nadia. I don't need all of this extra crap, but give me really nice box art and I will buy it. <laughs> it is a really cool looking display piece, I think. it's. I think there's a lot more stuff there that's appealing versus the, the Mario collection that they just released. Unfortunately, the sour of this collection is that it is a limited time release and that includes the digital release, which will go away on March 31st, which coincides roughly with the end of the fiscal year and possibly the launch of the Switch Pro. I think that it is a very cynical move by Nintendo to juice sales of these games that are limited time right before the close of the fiscal year. I don't like it, Nadia. There is a rumor going around, and of course, it's you got to take it with all the salt in the world, but something about Nintendo working or revising their, uh, basically their... Uh, their online shop, their, their virtual console, as it were, to become something more like the virtual console, something better. And the games that they're 
kind of putting the kibosh on or is going to be part of that somehow. It, of course, it's all hearsay. There's probably nothing to it. But the point is, yes, Nintendo is doing these limited releases. They're extremely dumb. I actually wonder if maybe they're just saying, oh, yeah, it's going to be gone because they have to do something because they have to say it because of their fiscal year for some reason. I don't understand economics. So maybe they'll come right back. But if they don't come back and if they really are just this this six month thing, that is really that is a very why sort of thing. Artificial scarcity, baby. Who needs that nowadays? Didn't you make a remark about how Nintendo can't even lie about chipsets anymore? <laughs> but the thing is, is that it works. Apparently, Mario 3D All-Stars sold millions of copies. Yeah, it, it got it a did. lot of hype and attention because it is a limited thing and people are afraid of missing out. Yeah, the FOMO is a major, major motivator. Um, I mean, heck, I'll buy Fire Emblem when it comes out. I'm not going to buy the special edition, but I'll buy the game itself. And who knows if I'll play it to the end because, let's face it, even though they are adding quality of life improvements, it's still an old-ass Fire Emblem game and will chew your face off. But I want to. I think it's a really neat part of history and I want to be part of it. I never thought Fire Emblem would eat my face. Well, <laughs> <laughs> You voted for Fire Emblem. That was going to eat your face, cat. <laughs> I'm glad you got that reference. <laughs> it's, a good, it's, a, it's a good line. Uh, Fire, the original Fire Emblem, if people are expecting something akin to what we have today, they're going to probably be in for a bit of a rude surprise. A little bit. Um, you certainly cannot romance anyone as I, as I don't think so, can you? Like, there's not, there's not a lot of bells and whistles. Pretty much all of the modern quality of life stuff and romance stuff that we come to associate with Fire Emblem uh, including the weapons triangle, showed up in Genealogy of the Holy War a little while later. The original Fire Emblem is a much more straightforward, stats-based RPG. Yeah, mm -hmm. I forgot. More akin to Echoes of Shadows of Valencia, Fire Emblem Echoes, uh, which was, of course, Fire Emblem Gaiden that came after Fire Emblem. Gaiden was very different from the original Fire Emblem, but my right. point stands. Yeah, um, I forgot that it doesn't even have the weapon triangle. I have watched some people play it on like YouTube and that kind of thing. And I think the thing that stands out to me about it is it's very much of its time. It's an old school Famicom game. But for its time, it looked really good. It had this really nice manga-esque uh, graphics. Um, it looked quite a bit better than, say, the original Dragon Quest. So I can see why it... De I, I can definitely see why it caught on in its time and place. But... A part of me kind of wishes that they had just localized Genealogy of the Holy War instead of the original Fire Emblem. That's what I would really like to see. I'd really like to see Genealogy of the Holy War. Um, I feel like that would still be a very playable piece of Fire Emblem's history. One thing I will say about the original, though, that I'm interested in seeing is the sprite animations because they are kind of the precursor to some very popular, famous animations that you see in the Game Boy Advance versions of, the, of Fire Emblem, which is still... Most of those games are still incredible looking. Most of the sprite artwork is just fantastic. And it all started on the Famicom. And as you said, back then for the time, the animations and whatnot look, looked really good. It's quite slow, though. Uh, the characters yeah. kind of walk forward awkwardly and go, uh, 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 <laughs> stab. I think there's a speed up button or a speed up option. Oh, that's good. Yeah, there's okay. definitely, there's, I don't know if there's a, a any sort of difficulty setting, but there are certainly safe states. There are certainly an options to speed things up. So they are doing things to make it a little more playable. Do you think 
that it should have a physical release, like be on an actual cartridge, or are you fine with it being just a digital download that's also included in this fancy package? Oh, I think it's fine as a digital download. Um, although I guess if I was buying the package, I could see why having a game card would be kind of cool. It would just be a little weird to me having a like a like a 100k Nintendo game on a like a, a 30 GameCube cartridge. Sorry, a 30 gig uh, cartridge. You mentioned no, this isn't Mother Three Twitter. An official Mother Three translation is not coming anytime soon, if ever. It's too controversial. What's controversial about it? Uh, well, here's the thing, Mother Three. Of course, when Fire Emblem news got out, Mother Three immediately started trending because everyone was saying, "Well, where's where's Mother Three? Where's our official Mother Three thing?" And I believe it was Imran Khan who mentioned the controversy surrounding the Mother Three translation, saying that it was supposed to happen, but eventually it was kind of scrapped because there is a lot of complicated content in Mother Three. Let's call it complicated, especially regarding gender roles and gender identity where you have the characters called them gypsies who do not really adhere to any sort of gender. Like they are, they present as male and female simultaneously. And I don't know if Nintendo wanted to get into that. There's also the matter of, well, there are just some very disturbing parts of the game. Like when the whole, the whole team ends up on an island that they eat these mushrooms and they get mm. really horrible nightmare hallucinations. That was a little disturbing. So I, I just feel like Nintendo's not going to take a risk on it. Prove me wrong, Nintendo. I would love to see Mother 3 officially get translated, but I just don't, I just don't see it happening. Final point on the Marth Roy being in Smash Brothers Melee thing, which was a nice touch, by the way, for yeah. American fans. Um, I thought it was funny that Roy was the one winning in that trailer. I, I think that was a... Very salty. Whoever cut that trailer was a very salty Roy fanboy who yeah. <laughs> finally wanted to get some revenge on on uh, Marth. Yeah, definitely had some flashbacks going on there. But that was a that was a fun little flashback to the conversations we really did have back then. Who are these guys? And you'd have a website here and there that would try to explain it. And Fire Emblem is huge in Japan. Like, oh, that's nice. What's Fire Emblem? That doesn't really sound like anything exciting. And uh, Everyone's love kind of grew from there. Okay, continuing on to the next piece of news. Darkest Dungeon 2 heading into early access next year. Oh my God, Nadia, I need it now. <laughs> Are you excited about abusing yourself again? Here's the thing. I did not beat the original Darkest Dungeon because as much as I love that game, and I was getting very far in it, I had... A whole bunch of really good teams. I was playing through the DLC and the whole nine yards. Mm -hmm. I There gets to a point right around the middle part of the game where it gets to be a real grind. As you are going through the dungeons and leveling up, leveling it up, leveling up. And the biggest problem is that you have the first initial round of bosses that you're fighting. And you, when you beat them, you feel really good about yourself. And you're like, oh, that was awesome. And then you've get to the next difficulty level as it were and then you fight all those bosses again and you're Oof. like oh, ugh, really are we doing this again okay and then you got to do it again you know and you're just trying to level up a party far enough so that you can take on the darkest dungeon so yeah, that does sound a little bit repetitive and and punishing 
So you get to a point after the first, around the middle part of the game, where unless you're a super hardcore fan of the series, and I don't blame anybody, the art's amazing, it's really in-depth, it's really fun to manage your party, etc. There does get to a point where you go, you know, I think I've seen enough. Yeah, I've got the full experience. <laughs> I've had enough misery for one for one lifetime. Let's do it again. So I'm really Darkest hoping Dungeon that 2. they refine that aspect of Darkest Dungeon 2 and make me truly want to keep progressing through. Yeah, um, that definitely sounds like something they would hopefully clean up for the next installment. So uh, good luck with that. Are you going to go for the early access? Uh, I'll at least try it. Mostly because I want to be able to talk about it on the podcast and everything. Right, of course. But this is the kind of experience. I am not one to play early access. Like, for example, Hades, a game that I enjoyed when it came out in early access. But I played it for a bit and then I went, I'm going to wait until this comes out in full yeah, release. And then it came out in full release and I adore it. Yeah, I'm still playing it. Me too, actually. I managed to, I still haven't beaten it with the bow, but I did beat it with the gauntlet. The bow is a tough one. To, to mm. be with, unless you get the, like, the really good, like, if Demeter is nice to you, you get some really nice spoons. I'm getting to the point now where I know Hades' is second form um, pattern really well. That must be nice. So, I feel like I'm, I need to stop running around, dashing around like a maniac, and actually pay attention to the pattern a lot more, and then I might have a lot more success. Yeah, I, I tend to do the dashing thing, it's very much instinct. <laughs> You have to use the environment is you what do. I'm finding. With the lasers? Hiding behind walls, uh, dashing through the jars of hands that are reaching up for you so mm -hmm. that you so that when he uses his lasers, they don't all get you, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's definitely all about using the environment strategically, but you kind of lose your mind and dash everywhere like, ah, it's mm. Hades. I love Hades. I wish I had more time for it. I'm about to not have time also i've been playing a fifa career mode oh things. fifa's got you in its snares again it does yes i'm saving west ham i'm number one i've only had one defeat in my league it's great oh <laughs> go west ham and also i turned on my 3ds last night and i was having a really good time i was playing theater rhythm oh that's a great game i love theater rhythm i have two yeah. but i haven't played it yet I was having a really good time with Curtain Call. You should you should play it because it has like Mystic Quest and Final Fantasy fourteen songs. Oh, I love that they have a Mystic Quest in there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's great. Here you go. They have America. so many songs. They have like Advent Children as well and Decidia. It's crazy. No, Decidia is great. Advent Children, eh. sure, <laughs> I'll play it. And I was also playing Etrian Odyssey five. I rolled up a new party. Oh, that's a that's a really good game to relax too. I put you in the. I put you in my party, Nadia. Oh, cool. What am I? I'm a dragoon and you're a botanist. It's funny that I'm not the dragoon. <laughs> well, I thought the dragoon kind of looked like me. Okay, so that's like, fair. Oh, the dragoon looks sufficiently. I suppose this looks sufficiently like me. I so. have never kept a plant alive ever. So that's an interesting choice for me. Ironic, isn't it? It really is ironic. Well, good luck with my terrible plant tending ways to you. Next, Assassin's Creed Valhalla has already leaked. Two expansions. One is ostensibly set in Ireland, and the other one is ostensibly set in Paris. This game is going to be humongous, Nadia. It's going to be great. It's going to be really huge. I'm actually kind of looking forward to Ireland. Um, I know you have family going back there, right? I mean, your last name's Bailey, for Christ's sake. I mean, on my father's side, and I don't think I know of any direct ancestors in Ireland, but yes, I do have a sufficient amount of Irish blood. Yeah, I... 
still have a lot of family in Ireland from my mother's side. And uh, I think we go way, way, way back to like the Druids. So like that's the kind of stuff I love to just kind of get into. I'm way more in touch with my German and Norwegian heritage because I'm from Minnesota, you know. Well, yeah, that's exactly what Minnesota is, is Germans and uh, Germans and Vikings. <laughs> My mom's side was very German and very, very Norwegian. So that was where I got all of the cultural os- osmosis. We never interacted with my father's side of the family. So ni- no Irish uh, for me. Oh, uh, see, I... I interacted with my mother's side and my father's side. My father's side is very Hungarian, which is they're extremely twisted. So that's where I got everything from. So I always felt close to that side. Trails of Cold Steel 4 is out tomorrow, according to the timeline that I am looking at. We have not received a review copy yet for some reason. That is unusual. You would think NAS would want us to be able to play it, but I don't know. So we will play it whenever we can. Def- Nadia will definitely be checking it out. We'll be talking about it on the podcast. Yeah, we'll talk about it on the podcast. Um, NIS, anyone there listening, uh, sure, send us a code. Hello. Hello. Waving my arms. Give <laughs> us a copy. <laughs> you guys usually send codes, and I know uh, at least a couple of people who got codes. So, uh, hey. Oh, really? Uh, you yes. heard that people got codes? RPG site reviewed the game, so I'm assuming. Oh, they already reviewed the game? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they are in Europe. That is true. Everything's so different in Europe. Yeah. So it really just depends on who is interacting with what and different PR arms and yeah. all that jazz. It feels like just European PR is really on the ball. Canadian PR is just like, we try our best, but sometimes we don't get anything. <laughs> A couple of articles that went up on the site that you might want to go check out. First, Mike wrote an article about World of Warcraft versus Final Fantasy XIV. He said that WoW is all about the end game, whereas FF14 is about the journey. Nadia, you're a big FF14 fan. Do you agree with that sentiment? It is absolutely all about the journey with FF14. Um, and even though I am not a WoW person, and from what I hear, WoW is very much more about the the raids and, and the battles and all that sort of thing. And even the way the game is structured, it doesn't really tell its story extremely coherently. And Final Fantasy XIV is a, as good as it's going to get for a solo player who wants to play an MMORPG because it is very oriented towards following a story. Um, and occasionally doing dungeons and raids, of course, are optional. Uh, whereas it feels like raids are the whole culture of World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft has been around for so long that everybody has played through all the story content and doesn't really care about it anymore. It's just about playing with their guildmates and that kind of thing. Yeah, very much so. There, I think a lot of WoW players are ingrained in their ways, whereas maybe the Final Fantasy XIV is more appealing to new players because... Holy crap! New tri- new uh, free trial. You now includes Heaven's Word. Like it's, it's but it also easy. helps that the single player content in FF14 is just that good, right? Yeah, some people did not like A Realm Reborn, which is the first sort of uh, storyline you go through. I did not find it like bad or boring. I think I thought it was like a very sort of average Final Fantasy story. The thing that really hooked me was there were a lot of great side quests. There were a lot of great side stories. I thought the culture of the races was very interesting. Um, the dialogue from the NPCs is entertaining. So that sort of thing kept me going through the more boring parts of the story. And then like when you hit the end of A Realm Reborn and get into Heavensward, it really starts going at like 50,000 miles per hour and you probably get hooked. I'll make you a deal, Nadia. I'll play FF14 if you'll play Witcher 3. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've been thinking that we should do a Witcher 3 report in the new year. That is not a bad idea. I think a lot of people would tune in for that because that is still a game with a lot of relevance behind it. 
Time it in time for the Witcher season two on Netflix. I'm not watching that. I mean, I'll, I'll play Witcher three, no problem. But uh, I find Netflix's game stuff can be, to be really kind of boring and bad a lot of the time. I don't, apparently, the Witcher th- Witcher on Netflix wasn't too bad. Well, I guess the Witcher now that I think about it is based more on the Polish novel, so maybe it is a little more, you know, cheesy as it is, a little more suited for watching. Apparently, on it's television. very Xena slash Hercules. The legend continues. Oh, I never but... watched that stuff as a kid though, because it was so cheesy. <laughs> But then it gets better as it goes on. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, if you're a queer woman growing up, you had to, back in the 90s, you had to watch Xena. That's true. There really wasn't much in the way of representation uh, back then. And all you could, you just get what, take what you get. Xena, Buffy, and Star Trek The Next Generation. Yeah, that was the the great uh, trio. The trio. (laughs) (laughs) Also, it is the 20th anniversary of the playstation 2 uh, we already wrote about why we think the playstation 2 is one of the best consoles of all time if not the best console of all time we did a playstation 2 console rpg quest a little while back you can go find that in the back catalog strongly recommend that you listen to it and today we have a playstation 2 top 25 list coming out it shouldn't be out by the time this podcast runs but i'll give you a quick sneak peek Here are the RPGs that made it onto the list, Nadia. Number 25, Kingdom Hearts. I wasn't sure about putting this on the list. (laughs) There was a bit of a rumble about that. Yeah, I don't know. I think the Kingdom Hearts doesn't hold up extremely well, but people are very passionate about it. And uh, if I look at it objectively, I'll go, eh. I'm very, very neutral on Kingdom Hearts, and I think it disappoints some of our listeners. I'm really sorry. I've tried to get excited about Kingdom Hearts. It's just not happening. Real endorsement from us, but yeah. <laughs> I think that it does a. I think the original Kingdom Hearts does the best job of integrating the concept of Square characters with meeting Disney, and that aspect is really well done in the original Kingdom Hearts, in my opinion. And it's the tightest, most entertaining thing. It only goes off the rails with Kingdom Hearts Two IMO. So yeah, I would have liked to see them really stick with the whole Disney element and really revel in the crossover. But they, as you say, they go a bit off the rails and into their own territory after two. Number nineteen was Final Fantasy X, which you still haven't played. No, no, I should, but it's just not really like something that comes to the fore of my mind a lot. It's available in HD. I think you would like it actually. I have it. Like I have it on my Switch. Hmm. You should play it. We should do a report on Final Fantasy X, too. Maybe we should do, like, a, a poll. Witcher 3, Final Fantasy X, like, what should be the next report? Especially because we're idea. coming up to the end of the console RPG quest, and we'll need content. We're going to need all the content. Uh, number 17 was Dragon Quest Eight, a game we do know a thing or two about. Yes, that has appeared. Was that on our list of the top 20 R- 25 RPGs? No. No, we, we did five. But yes. 8 is an excellent entry. I've seen a lot of people say that 11 is like 8, but better. I, I agree. I think that 11 is uh, like 8, but better. But uh, 8 is still a lot of fun to go back to. I think the 3DS version, even though it really had to downscale the graphics and sound, uh, did a, the game a huge service by putting enemies on the map. Number 14 is Final Fantasy twelve, which is my equivalent of those two ladies yelling at the cat. <laughs> are you the yelling ladies or the cat 
I'm the cat. Because <laughs> everyone's like, put 12 on Because everybody people. thinks 10 is better than 12, but in fact, I think 12 is better than 10. Take that. I can't really comment, but I'm going to say yes, 12 is better than 10. Uh, honestly, I would rather have 10-2 on here than 10, but I'm not willing to poke that particular hornet's nest. I found out, like, speaking of Final Fantasy X, I already told you this, but I had the just the weirdest link to Tara Strong, who did the voice of, I can't remember, from Ten. Back, uh, Riku, I think. Um, oh, right. Because you, you know somebody in your neighborhood? She basically, there's a, there's a, I swear to God, a bagel place in Toronto near me, very close to me, actually, called Greif's. And it's just kind of a staple of the Jewish community. Just, everyone knows what Greif's is and who they are. And she's like, the granddaughter or something of the people who own that the, the bagel place and i'm like that is so freaking weird so she grew up in my neighborhood and it's like oh man i wish i could talk to you about like our hood that's so amazing six degrees of toronto it's totally six degrees of toronto six degrees of jewish toronto in particular someday i'm gonna come and visit you in toronto not we can have bagels yeah <laughs> and then of course 11 is persona 3 fez and the highest rated rpg i bet you can guess what it is it's number six it's persona Four. And number one yes. on our list was Metal Gear Solid 3 Snake Eater, which I think is one of the best games. Yeah, I think so. Like, even though I'm not like a humongous Metal Gear fan, like 3 I can recognize is a really, really well done game that I feel like Kojima didn't go off the rails too badly like he tends to. Like, it's a coherent, as coherent as that story is going to get. I also had the boss who was the best character in that entire series. I like the boss a lot, um, except for her cesarean scar that goes up to her, like, through her boobs for some reason. <laughs> I remember that scene. It's like, can you- Don't who, think about it. <laughs> who did the surgery? Were they drunk? Yes. <laughs> All right. Happy 20th anniversary to the PlayStation 2. Go check out our top 25 PlayStation 2 list on the site. All right. Two RPG-related things were recently released- one of them was, uh, they were both on Nintendo Switch, actually, though it was also on a few other consoles. Uh, the first one was Torchlight 3, um, which, uh, mm, uh, yeah, yeah, not great, unfortunately. No, when I checked a little while ago, I had like a 64 on Metacritic and just, of course, the user reviews were mostly negative. <laughs> Perfect World was giving Torchlight 3 a pretty heavy push. Some of the original principles uh, were involved, like Max Schaefer and people like that. I think the biggest problem that Torchlight 3 ultimately had was that it started out as a free-to-play MMORPG, and then they took it in a different direction, but it never quite shed that kind of aesthetic, as it were. Yeah, uh, I've heard the term used for the game uh, in one review as identity crisis. And I think another problem that Torchlight kind of faces is that when the original Torchlight came out, and I remember this very well because I interviewed Max uh, Schaefer back back when they were promoting the original Torchlight. And this was before Diablo 3 came out. Mm. Uh, we didn't have a lot of games that were kind of the isometric dungeon crawlers. We, we had a yes, few. Yes, right. We were all waiting for Diablo 3 to come out. So this game comes out and we're like, oh, this is so great. And the... The, the aesthetic was really charming and it had some really key innovations like the pets that would take your items back to town. And so it was just immediately enjoyable. And then Torchlight 2 was that but bigger and again benefited from the fact that Diablo 3 had a lot of backlash and disappointment from fans. But if you look at where we are right now, 
uh, Diablo 3 is still around and, and still relatively popular. Mm-hmm. And Path of Exile definitely has the attention of the really hardcore fans. And Torchlight just doesn't feel novel in the same way that it did before. Yeah, it feels like a bit of a relic of its time stuck in the, the past. And to be fair, in that past, we were in desperate need of a good uh, dungeon crawler and not only do we not have Diablo 3 for a long time, but when it came out, it was a mess for a very long time. It seems like it's trying to be Diablo, but cute. Yeah, that's kind of well, you, Minecraft, you got Minecraft dungeons for that. <laughs> I think the thing is, though, when you look at the graphics, I think in 2009, 2010, that graphical style was legitimately charming. And now when I see that graphical style, I just think mobile game. Yes, there is a very certain aesthetic that screams mobile game that if you put it on the Switch or the PlayStation or anything other than mobile, I'm going to look at it and say, uh, this doesn't really belong here. Yeah, I, I, I played some Torchlight 3 on Nintendo Switch and other and also on the PC, and it just didn't really grab me, unfortunately, uh, especially when Hades is around. And I know that Hades is not really an isometric RPG, but I'm conflating them in my mind. Yeah. It's kind of the same, as I say, it's not the same, but there is a, a very, there is a thread of familiarity between them that Hades, of course, is without question the better game. Which one, uh, which one does the art better? Hmm, I mm, wonder. Yeah. Although Hard I to top heard... Hades in that department. I don't know. I just, I feel like that space in my brain is already filled up. And once again, I'm waiting for Diablo 4 and Path of Exile 2 and Torchlight 3 just feels a little half-baked. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame. So, um, sorry, don't mean to dump on t- Torchlight oh, 3. Minecraft Dungeons is good, too. Yeah. I We've mean, barely if you... talked about it on this podcast, but, I mean, it certainly also fills a niche. Almost it kind does. of the same niche as Torchlight. Yeah, that's the thing. When you're talking about cutesy sort of dungeon crawlers, Minecraft certainly fills, sorry, Minecraft Dungeons certainly fills that that niche. So, we're not lacking for dungeon crawlers these days. We're not lacking for differently themed dungeon crawlers these days. So, if you release something like Torchlight 3, it's just going to get kind of run over by the the Hades and Diablo 3s and the Minecraft dungeons. I went on to Reddit just to check how people are talking about Torchlight. And the top upvoted thread is, this is the most n- notoriety I've seen Torchlight 3 get, and it's not good. <laughs> Aww. That's kind of sad, but it's true. After such a bad TL2 console port, why wouldn't they make TL3 what it should have been? They took all that extra time and changed it to premium. What gives? Yeah, and I think, as we've said before, the main problem that's going on here is it started as a free-to-play sort of MMO. And just making that shift to two very different genres is uh, it's kind of difficult. It's also kind of buggy, it seems, like enemies disappearing in mid-fight. No. Switch port is not good. Uh, yeah, that's always an indicator of how a, a game's quality, I think, is how much effort are they putting into the Switch port. In any case, it's not amazing, and the Blood God is kind of turning his head sadly and saying, No. <laughs> <laughs> no, give this one a pass. But the Blood God is a little more excited about the Crown Tundra DLC, which is now available for Pokemon Sword and Shield. Nadia and I have started playing it. Be, it dropped quite late last night. I was kind of hoping it would drop a lot earlier. Yes. Um, Nadia, I think you're a little further than I am. How are you liking it? I was surprised. I thought for sure it was going to drop like yesterday early, but no, it dropped at like midnight my time. And uh, uh, so far it, it's uh, it's 
is very fun. It's very uh, cute. Um, I'm actually enjoying the Dynamax battles, uh, the adventures, I think they're called Dynamax Adventures, where you are given a rental Pokemon and kind of challenged to take on this little dungeon and beat other Pokemon with it. And finally, until you get to a legendary and try to capture that one with your rental Pokemon. And as I wrote, you can go read it on the site right now. It's a good way to treat to teach you how to love loser Pokemon because <laughs> I, as we have like discussed, Dunsparce. Yeah, I, I I was given a Dunsparce. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with a Dunsparce? Why do you got all the hate for Stunfisk though? Come on, it's weird looking. You look at his eyes. It wants to it wants a sweet release. I'll have of you death. know that a lot of Pokemon are weird looking. Yeah, but not with the eyes. Then again, it has the same eyes as Trubbish, and that that Trubbish also wants a sweet release Ugh. of death. There you go. See. But, I um, hate the garbage monster. The thing I like about uh, Crown Tundra so far is there's a lot to do, and uh, there's a little bit of a story at first in the when you enter the game, but you're kind of left to go to your own devices when you're ready. And you can um, uh, right now, I'm just kind of trying to help the Forest God, the legendary of this particular DLC pack, uh, find his faith again, let people believe in him again, so he can live again, and it's. Uh, it's kind of an interesting little uh, little aside about Pokemon and gods and, and, and faith and all of that. So I'm trying to help him because he's weird looking, but I like him. And that involves finding like his crown. I found his crown, which is why he has a big head. And he got a, <laughs> now he, he apparently has a horse. And I have to find his horse because his, his faithful steed, quote unquote, is missing. And if he doesn't have his faithful steed, he can't be a good harvest god anymore. So it's like, all right, well, I'll help you find your horse because I really want to get to the tree where all the legendary birds are hanging out and I want to capture Zapdos. I think I remember where the what that Pokemon reminds me of. What? Do you remember the Itchy and Scratchy episode in The Simpsons where uh, Scratchy gets put into the behind the brick wall and then finds the evolved Itchies with yeah. the, the big heads <laughs> that right. warm, warm, sends the knives uh, flying at him. That's yes. what that Pokemon reminds me of. It's And it's uh, kind of the same gimmick going on. It can take over bodies and because there's a character, Peony, I think his name is. He's hilarious. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to go on vacation with his daughter, but he's he's just too much. So his daughter abandons him and he you kind of go with him on this adventure because he has it all planned out and I feel bad for him. So he is used as almost like a vessel for this this god Pokemon because this is how the god Pokemon actually speaks to you in plain English, believe it or not. And he just takes over this this poor man's body to do it. But uh, I guess he gets the job done. And you know, Peony wasn't hurt. I'm sure, he enjoyed it in a way. Such wonderful existential horror. It's what I've come to expect from Pokemon. Pretty much. If you don't have a Pokemon, it's kind of horrifying. It's not. It's not a, a real Pokemon generation. That reminds me, I did find a Mimikyu. I didn't ca I didn't get it, though. I find that it's actually quite difficult to capture Pokemon this time around. Maybe that's something that'll alleviate as I get further into the DLC, but I'm they're, they're squirming away from me. So, a couple thoughts. Thought number one is that I don't know that I really like the max raid dungeons any better than regular max raids, because mm -hmm. they were already kind of tedious, and this is just as long. Oh, yeah. Especially if you're playing with other players. And I really don't like the rental Pokemon aspect of it. But that's how you learn to love loser Pokemon, Kat. I know all about all the various <laughs> Pokemon. That's true. I know which Pokemon that I like. There's a reason right. that I pick the ones that I like and raise them. That's fair. That's fair. 
I also went and dumped like two full boxes worth of legendaries into my game as oh. soon as I could because I was like, haha. Oh, wait. But the funny thing is that this game is all about being able to capture so many legendaries that weren't available in Sword and Shield, like Suicune and Zapdos and all of them. And there are new Pokemon, don't get me wrong, but I'm just like, yeah, that's nice. I already got a Suicune. <laughs> yeah, I. I- then your kind of introduction to the whole adventure thing, they let you catch Suicune. Uh, then I went up against a Moltres and uh, did that whole thing where it blows you out of the den just as you're about to get it. And I was so pissed off. The good news is that I have a lot of spare legendaries. Like I have an entire, I have two full sets of Reggies from <laughs> previous games that I've played. So, and it seems like in this game, you can only get one of the Regis. And you have to trade for the other ones. And so, haha, I'm going to trade for everything that I want. You're a step ahead, Kat. I sure am. I got multiple boxes of legendaries ready to go. <laughs> going to fill out my legendary collection. I still wish that, of course, I wasn't expecting it because it's the DLC to Sword and Shield, but I really still wish you could ride on your Pokemon or that mm. you could see people and their chosen Pokemon following them on the map. Because you can see people on the map, of course, but you can't see the Pokemon following them. And it'd be fun if you could. I know that would probably destroy uh, the servers, though, so that's why they don't do it. I'm still mad at the naked favoritism that Nintendo shows for the Hoenn starters over everybody. I'm sorry. I know the Ho- Don't get me wrong. The Hoenn starters are great. I like Swampert. I like Sceptile. I like uh, Blaziken. They're all wonderful designs. I think they're second probably only to the original starters. That said, give the Sinnoh starters some more love, Nintendo. Why can't I have them in my game? Why can't I have uh, Greninja, who's one of the most popular Pokemon in Crown Tundra? Let me have them. Come on. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people actually asking for more Hoenn, not, not Hoenn love, uh, Sinnoh love in uh, yeah. the Pokemon games. We're now at the point where the people who grew up with playing Diamond and Pearl, they're of age, which is yep, terrifying. But <laughs> It happened. The wheel slowly nostalgia turns. is strong now. It's extremely strong right now. And before long, it's uh, <laughs> got it. It's just going to keep on going until we get to uh, sun and moon nostalgia. Can you imagine? Alola nostalgia? Quiet. <laughs> Don't say such words to me. <laughs> I look forward to that just because I like Litten so much. I think that Crown Tundra is a great buy. You should buy the expansion pass. I think it is essential if you own Pokemon Sword and Shield and like Pokemon even a little bit. It has so much good content. Isle of Armor was fantabulous. Some of the best Pokemon side quests that I've played in years. I enjoyed pretty much every second of it. I can't wait for the Galarian Star Tournament or whatever it is in Crown Tundra. That's going to be really cool. Yeah, I haven't unlocked that yet, obviously, but that looks real. That apparently that's a big challenge, so you're going to probably steamroll it. It also, <laughs> it also has a lot of quality of life improvements, like the ability to change uh, your Pokemon's abilities to its hidden ability, which is something that has never been possible before, and opens up a lot of possibilities if you have a Pokemon that you raised a long time ago. I'm very mm-hmm. excited about that. So. Yeah, this is all phenomenal endgame content if you're willing to spend the money on it. I would like more Pokemon in the game, but they add a ton of Pokemon in Crown Tundra, and I can't wait to get into the actual multiplayer. 
Yeah, um, I think that the I can't remember the na- the price of the DLC off the top of my head, but the price is more than worth it, and it's certainly preferable to buying a, a complete edition, quote unquote, or an ultimate edition, and going through the whole story again. Because once you have the DLC, uh, you can enter Crown Tundra and Isle of Armor very early in the game. Crown Tundra is actually like true endgame uh, content because it doesn't scale down to you like Isle of Armor does. So right, you have to be like level 70 to be able to get into Crown Tundra. Yeah. In fact, I entered uh, Crown Tundra and I wasn't even paying attention to my party. And I didn't realize I had like put in a bunch of babies to level them up uh, last time I played Isle of Armor. So I just got my ass kicked as soon as I got off the train. So the Sword and Shield expansion pass is $30, and that will get you both Crown Tundra and Isle of Armor, and given the number of hours of content that you get out of that, I think that's more than worth it. I think so. I really do think it's worth it. And I am I think that Game Freak learned a lot <laughs> developing this game Huge. and its DLC. And the, the wild areas in Crown Tundra and Isle of Armor are so much better very than much better, what you get. A lot more varied, a lot more interesting to explore. There's caves and stuff to look through. So I'm curious to see what they do next. I think uh, they're going to have something really, really great next time around. I don't think they're done with Sword and Shield. I think there's going to be more development where that comes from. Hmm. Keep in mind that next year is the 25th anniversary of Pokemon. Oh, my God. Also, at the end of the year, by by the end of the year at the latest, we are going to have Pokemon Sword and Shield connecting to Pokemon Go, which opens up a right. lot more horizons That's as well. That's going to be a big deal. So I think Pokemon, after kind of a rough year or so, is in a much better place. I The community seems a lot happier now. I'm a lot happier. And yeah, let's see where this goes. But yeah, the Blood God is nodding approvingly in terms <laughs> of Crown Tundra. The blood god says, this is good. This is cool, so to speak. Something that is not good or cool. Let's see Xbox One, which you're <laughs> now going to do the console RPG <laughs> quest for. Don't go away. Okay, it's time for the console RPG quest in which we review the RPG legacy of every single console, even the 3DO and the Jaguar and all of those. And this week we are talking about the Xbox One because, Nadia, well, I wanted to jump ahead because we won't be too long away from the release of the Xbox Series X and the PS5. So now is as good a time as any to look back on the past generation. And what better way to do that than through the lens or the frame of the console RPG quest? This is why we were doing the console RPG quest in the first place. Yeah, pretty much. We'll start with the Xbox One, which, well, it certainly had its merits. (laughs) I don't think that this is easily the weakest console that Microsoft has put out. And frankly, it's been pretty much a disaster from the start. Um, I don't know if you'd call it a disaster. Uh, well, it wasn't great though, but it did teach Microsoft a lot of important lessons. And I think, I think when a company gets uh stuck with a failing console, 
Uh, as long as they can weather the storm, they can actually come back incredibly strong with some really great ideas. Like, I think the Wii U really shaped Nintendo into what it is today. And the PlayStation 3's problems helped really make the PlayStation 4 into something special. And it's just Xbox's uh, turn to get hit by the ruler for a little while until they can come back stronger. <laughs> well, apparently the Xbox One outsold the Super Nintendo. Really? Really? Yep. That is... By about uh, about a million units, and the Xbox One isn't dead yet. It could still keep selling. No, easily, but that is so that is so weird. I guess it's because, you know, we don't really think about it, but when we were kids, video games was still very much for kids. It, we didn't really have a lot of adults playing, whereas nowadays, adults, not, not only do they play, but sometimes they just buy these systems because of their multimedia capabilities. So, there you go. As usual, you have to contextualize things. The market is way bigger than it was back in 1990. Absolutely. Much, much bigger. I mean, just consider that the, the original Nintendo Entertainment Center system, which was a dominant success and had the whole market to itself for years, only sold about 61 million. Yeah, that's funny to even think about, but th that's like small potatoes numbers these days. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, the PlayStation 4 is at 112 million <laughs> units sold. <laughs> oh gracious yes so there you go it's all in the context of the of the age and the nintendo switch has already outsold the xbox one and it came out in 2017 yeah and it's still going it's uh it's hard to find a switch on the shelves these days and not only that the switch has like dramatically outpaced the xbox one the xbox one's at about 50 million the switch is at 62 million wow so there you go <laughs> yeah so when I say that it was kind of a disaster, yeah, it has double the sales of the original Xbox. But again, context, everybody plays video games now. Hundreds of millions of units are being sold worldwide. And the Xbox One should have grown the console's presence in the world. And instead, it took a huge step back from the Xbox 360. But let's talk a little bit about why that was. We'll start out, Nadia, what was our first memory of the Xbox One? Why don't we start with you? Oh, gosh, I'm trying to remember even why or how I got my hands on one and I am coming up blank. I guess that just kind of says how much affection people have for the Xbox One. And I certainly don't hate the system by any means. Um, you, know what, you know what I think my first memory was? Remember that Cirque du Soleil thing? Was it E3? One of the E3 Vaguely. shows? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that was uh, E3 2013, wasn't it? Yeah, that was when um, a lot of people came away from that saying, what the hell is Microsoft doing? What is this? <laughs> what is going on with the Xbox? And I yeah. distinctly remember Jim Sterling. He got his start from that presentation because he was just mocking it to just to shreds. And he, someone asked him, yeah, Jim Sterling, what would you like to see from Microsoft and the Xbox One? And he's like, I would think I would just like to see the, ca the, the cast of Cirque du Soleil buried alive. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. And Microsoft had people wear that those weird raincoats into the into the thing. Remember that? Nope. <laughs> I wasn't. I wasn't at that E three actually. Neither was I. I was watching it, and I was just like, "What is going on? What a weird generation that was." I my only memory of E of that E three is how thoroughly Sony buried Microsoft. Yeah, that that certainly did happen. That was kind of almost a repeat of the year that they buried Sega. <laughs> It, it was incredible. So at that time, I so I had already seen the Xbox One before it got it officially announced. I had seen what I thought was just a straight up debug unit, right? Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, so this is a debug unit. Obviously, it's going to be blocky and ugly. So <laughs> and humongous. 
that makes total sense. This is a debug unit. And then they took the wraps off it in the official stream. And I was like, that's what it actually looks like? What? (laughs) (laughs) Blocky and ugly. And ugly. It was a big block. Yeah. Holy crap. It's funny. When I I try to visualize game systems, I can visualize any game system perfectly. But when I think of the Xbox One, I can't get a visual on it. I mean, right now, it's kind of shoved under my entertainment center. So that doesn't help. But I just can't form a picture in my head. Do you find that's with you, too? No, it's true. It's kind of like a PC in that way. Exactly. There you go. It reminds me of a PC and not one with the cool covers that are like, you know, kind of transparent and have all the weird shit going on behind them. It's just a business PC almost. So let's put the Xbox One into context a little bit. So it came out in 2013 after a quite a long run for the Xbox 360. The 360 went all the way from 2005 through 2013. It was still going after like eight years. People were very tired of that console generation by the end. But the 360, a lot of people forget, had a kind of a great generation, actually. As we were discussing in the Xbox 360 console RPG Quest, it kind of exploded out of the gate really fast. It was doing very well versus the PS3. Uh, It was a third-party console of choice. Um, As The Verge was kind of pointing out, it was successful because it had a very user-friendly front end, really good online capabilities. It was fast. It wasn't over-engineered like the PS4 and that kind of thing. Yeah. And where Sony seemed to learn the mistake from the mistakes of the PS3 in creating the PS4, Microsoft seemed to discard everything that it learned from the 360 and went in a very strange direction. So when the 360 was in the, the Xbox One as initially envisioned, by the way, can we just talk about how dumb the name is? Yeah, Microsoft naming systems has never been its strong suit. <laughs> Let's face it. I kind of wish that I had gone with the Xbox Infinity rumor that had been, because <laughs> oh, I just like the idea of it spinning around Xbox in circles Infinity. forever. I mean, it was already the 360 because it had that huge problem of like, well, PlayStation 3, crap. We don't want the Xbox 2. Eh. Xbox 2. It should have been the Xbox 2. That would have been great. Uh, they should have just called the 360 like the Xbox X or something. I don't know. When calling it the 360, well, that kind of makes sense because you would get the red ring. So you would send it out and make a full circle back to your house. <laughs> but calling it the Xbox One made it forever annoying to refer to the original Xbox because then yes. you had to start calling it the OG Xbox or something. Yes, I don't. I, I still don't get why the one was so important to them. So well, let's go back a little bit. During the Xbox 360 era, Microsoft tried a little bit of a soft reboot for the 360 because the Wii was doing so outrageously well. It had seemed to actually manage to tap into the blue ocean Mm. and find an entirely new category of very casual customer. This was before smartphone games and that kind of thing. So this seemed like wave of the future, right? Yes. And so Microsoft goes out and they make the Kinect, which is this fancy camera that you can use to play fitness games and, and whatnot. It was always more of a proof of concept than an actual successful thing. But Microsoft, but it sold well out of the gate, and Microsoft was like, "That's it. This is what we're building the Xbox One around. We're going to mm-hmm. have it fully integrated into everything. You're going to turn on. You're, you're going to turn it on by saying, hey, Xbox, turn on or whatever. Uh, it's going to re react to your voices. You're going to be able to do things like pin Skype.' <laughs> oh, <laughs> Skype. like you really want to do that. 
Great. You're going to be able to pin Skype while you're watching TV or something like that because cable TV is going to be fully integrated into your media box? Uh, it's so – when you think about that whole generation of tech, um, say like 2000 and 2000, 2012, it feels like such a lost generation because that was before smartphones just revolutionized everything about the way we consume media and entertainment. Remember netbooks? Like that those became obsolete after tablets were a thing and mm-hmm. everyone was still talking about cable TV and you can watch TV through our new boxes. And as you said, the blue ocean because the Wii brought in a whole bunch of casual players who, of course, abandoned it very quickly for mobile games. So, yeah, it was just a very strange time for tech. The thing is, is that I'm not a very smart person, but even I could see that the things were changing. You know, the, the, when Microsoft revealed the Xbox one, you could say that it's all hindsight, but even, but I looked at it, I was like, what are they crazy? Everybody's (laughs) cutting the cord. (laughs) Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was just, it was a very baffling. The the TV thing did not, was not appealing to me. No, of of course not. Why would it be? First of all, it was hard to communicate. I didn't really understand the benefits of having the TV directly connected to my Xbox. Second of all, I didn't have cable. I was a millennial. <laughs> of course. That's what that that's the kind of thing that an older like kind of boomer Gen X person yeah, would think it's like, like we well, got to have TV is, integration. My dad is pure cable. Like he's tried to use Netflix. He's like, "Oh, I don't like this." And he just uses it. he just gets cable. House of Cards came out a month before the Xbox 1 was revealed and completely turned original programming on its head and revolutionized things. And it was around this time that ESPN started hemorrhaging subscribers because everybody was cutting the cord. So Right, of course. And then, of course, this was the death knell. This was a real death knell. This is what killed the Xbox One. Was its extreme... At the time, consoles were at war with used games because used games were big business, Micro, EA had introduced Project $10, which was this idea that you're going to buy DLC to unlock things like online features oh, to offset right. the loss of money that they were getting from used, sa- used game sales, that kind of thing. And Microsoft's whole thing was that you had to connect to the internet every 24 hours in, a- in order to be able to play games, which was... Yeah, that was a disaster. That was ridiculous. And everybody was like, what are you doing? And they had people and they were like, and publishers can opt out of being able to do used game sales and everything. And (laughs) it was all confusing mess. The system was ugly. It came out, it was $499. Right. So that was kind of expensive. And it wasn't that great compared to the PS4. Meanwhile, the PS4 comes out, it's cheaper. It's has a more powerful GPU and they were able to just mic drop and say, and by the way, no restrictions online. Mm-hmm. Remember when the video? I was watching that Sony E3 press conference, it was the most devastating E3 press conference I have ever watched. <laughs> like at that moment, I knew that Sony had won. It's one of the legendary ones, like the 299 and the 2006 Nintendo Wii presentation. Like, it was definitely one to go down in the books because Sony just steamrolled the hell out of the Xbox. And it was just really uncomfortable to watch how badly Xbox got thrashed. 
I'm not one to sit here and lionize marketing campaigns and yeah. sales and that kind of thing. But I mean, even I had to sit back and clap because, oh my God, I I was when I watched that in 2013, I was just like, Microsoft's dead. It's they are so dead. And then and I was right. Like Sony completely blew them away. We have both seen our share of backlash to bad press conferences and bad announcements and all of that. And I think the reaction to the no used game sales, 24 hour online uh, things that Microsoft was proposing, I feel like I have never seen a backlash that bad or very, very rarely. Well, what's funny is that we don't even think about it now because there are so many games that are basically worthless without an online connection. Tell me about it. Oosh. But that was 2013. It's 2020 now. Things have changed quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not going to go around and say that North America has any sort of great internet internet infrastructure going on right now. But back in 2013, that was still I, I still had friends in the boonies who were connecting by dial up. You know what I mean? Microsoft had another problem, Nadia, and mm. so we're, we're laying out all the problems that Microsoft had. It was too expensive. It had a worse GPU. Then the PS4, arguably not as powerful, had these onerous restrictions that Microsoft had to rapidly backpedal on. The reason that it was more expensive was that it had the Connect bundled in, a thing right. that a peripheral that nobody really liked and would ultimately be discontinued in 2017, which, by the way, the Connect is at the center of all of Microsoft's problems to this day. Like they Absolutely. had to rebuild the Xbox Game Studios basically from scratch because they put such a large bet on the Kinect, and it blew up in their face and failed so badly. And I feel all the shot in Florida because the Kinect was a piece of crap. Sorry. Yeah. They they almost destroyed Rare by making them just sit there and make crappy-ass Kinect games. The problem that Microsoft had, Nadia, is that it didn't have games. Yeah, the was problem a big problem. Was that in the 360 era, they, had, they still had Bungie. They had Epic coming in and making Gears of War. That was an incredible one-two punch. And they still had Lionhead mm -hmm. over here making Fable games. And Lionhead, like Fable 2 and 3, I didn't like 3, but at least Fable 2 and 3 were like big games that they could put out. And they had deals that they struck on the side with companies like Mistwalker. And then when the Xbox One came out, so here's the uh, Xbox One launch lineup of Note, okay? A lot of third-party titles. They had Crimson Dragon, oh, which was like Panzer Dragoon. That was so disappointing because that was supposed to be... That was by the creator of Panzer Dragoon. And I was looking forward to that. Project Draco, I think it was called at one point. And it just turned out to be so bad. And I think it was another thing where they put it on the Kinect. It was a Kinect game and it just did not translate well. And it was like PlayStation 3 and Layer all over again. They struck a deal to make Dead Rising 3 a time, uh, an exclusive on the Xbox One. It was not very good. Yeah, I don't think that was one of the better ones. They had Forza 5, which Forza ended up being their best game, but it's a racing game at the end of the day. It has a defined ceiling. Yeah, definitely. Like Forza is certainly a very strong franchise, but does not really enough to carry a console on when it's launched. Microsoft's problem, of course, was that Bungie opted to depart. They just couldn't stay in a good relationship with Bungie. Bungie wanted to make something other than Halo. Microsoft wanted them to just keep making Halo. Bungie said, screw you, we're going to go make this little game called <laughs> Destiny. And they went and signed a deal with uh, Activision, which had its own problems. Yes. But 
And Microsoft was like, okay, well, we'll just hand the reins over to 343. And 343 wasn't amazing, honestly. Uh, Halo Sorry, one second. kind of declined bit all by right, bit. don't worry about it. Ultimately, Microsoft lost pretty much all of its first-party developers all at once. And they tried to hand them over to other developers, but they weren't able to keep them very relevant. Lionhead was a big one in... 2012, several of the key veterans resigned pretty much on the same day. It was called Black Monday. Peter mm. Molyneux departed not long after, and then Lionhead was shuttered in 2016 because they were sick of making Fable games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were pretty much off the Fable train by that point, and Peter Molyneux wanted to make a game about tapping on a cube until you get to the center. And Bungie was like, we didn't want to make Halo. They were off to make uh, Destiny in conjunction with Activision, so they effectively went third party. And Microsoft was like, okay, we'll hand the reins over to 343, and we'll hand the reins over to the Coalition for Halo and Gears. But they just didn't have the same impact anymore. And meanwhile, Sony, of course, as we all know, was building up its own first party franchises. So Microsoft was a little bit upper river. Um, Sony jumped out to an immediate lead when the two consoles came out in 2013. By 2014, Microsoft was falling further and further behind Sony. It was clear that PS4 was very ahead. One of the kind of the damning things was I was reading a letter or an article by Digital Foundry's Richard Ledbetter at the time. And he was pointing out that in the 40-some games that they did comparisons on, some 14 games were at a clear advantage on the PS4, and only one of them was at a clear advantage on the Xbox One. So from a technology standpoint, the bet that Sony went and made was kind of the right one. Microsoft spent a lot of time running away from the decisions that it made from the very start. Uh, They tried to kind of do a reboot of the Xbox One, you could say, in 2017, when they released Game Pass and the Xbox One X. I I have an Xbox One X. It's fine. It's <laughs> definitely it's it's a superior experience in some ways to the PS4 Pro, at least from a the at least from a graphics standpoint. Like you can get some really nice 4K graphics out of the Xbox One X from all of those teraflops and whatnot. Turning the thing on kind of annoying. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't want to press this button. Oh God, what does it? Well, what the UI isn't great. So last generation, I liked playing on my 360 because I felt like I was connected to all of my different games. It was the system that I played the most on in general was where all my friends were. And this time around, it's the PS4. So it's actively, I have to actively move over to the Xbox One versus PS4, where it's just like, I'm always on the PS4, whatever. Yeah, no, I absolutely know what you mean there. Um, All of my friends are on the PS4. Uh, Gosh, I think the last time I played on the Xbox was I had to... I think it was Ori. I reviewed Ori. Um, and before that, it was, um, shoot, what was the name of the, the game with the alien and the planets? And that was, it was really awesome. Outer Wilds? Outer Wilds. That's it. Thank you. That was a really cute game. Uh, but in both cases, both Ori and Outer Wilds did not run particularly well, even on the Xbox. No, and all, all those games were basically available on PC anyway. Yeah. I think Outer Wilds was, took a while to get there, but... It eventually got there, but you're right. They came out on PC anyway. And I think that's what Microsoft is all about now. It's just eh, accessibility. My two best experiences playing the Xbox on the Xbox One 
One has been the Forza Horizon series. I really enjoy those games. Those are good games. Those really are really nice, relaxing racing games. One of the big reasons that I'm actually kind of pumped for the new Fable is that I am a firm believer in playground games. They're awesome. Mm-hmm, definitely. They do an incredible job with Forza Horizon. Forza Horizon 4, for my money, is the best exclusive to come out on the Xbox One. So Yeah. They're, they're very good at building lively open worlds. The other really positive experience that I've had on the Xbox One was Witcher 3, interestingly. Did you play them on Xbox? I did, yes. Oh. Uh, I got an Xbox One code. And then when the Xbox One X came out, I got a, uh, it got the graphics upgrade uh, patch. So right. it got up to 4K and that kind of thing. And that was my impetus to really start playing Witcher 3 seriously. Mm-hmm. And Witcher 3 is, of course, is an amazing game. Uh, it doesn't have, sadly, I wish that it had cross platform with Switch because that would have been uh, an impetus for me to be able to get the Switch version as well. But right. by and large, because of its integration with PC and Microsoft's decision to make basically every single Xbox One exclusive also be available on the PC, is cross platform capabilities are much stronger yes. than the PS4. And I think that is one of the current advantages that Microsoft has is that if you buy it, a Microsoft game, you know that's probably going to work with a lot of things where Sony is very cagey about its ecosystem. Yes, uh, Microsoft is is quite open door about things. So that will f- definitely serve it well in the future. Another thing that I really like about the Xbox One is that it has actual backward compatibility yes. versus the PlayStation. The PS4 never had backward compatibility. No. So from a first party exclusive standpoint, I don't I couldn't really find <laughs> any RPGs that yeah. could really justifiably be called the Xbox One's own. Maybe Path of Exile that eventually came out on the PS4. <laughs> Did I miss anything, Nadia? It's really kind of pathetic to say but we're possibly looking at a RPG console quest that might be weaker than like the Jaguar. <laughs> <laughs> That's not true. It had a lot of really good RPGs. They were just all third party. Right. They were all cross platform though. It's not like you were buying basically everything that you could get was on other systems, other consoles, other PC. But yeah, in terms of first party, like this is we made this sort of stuff. You do not really have anything going on with the Xbox One. But at a certain point, Microsoft decides to basically abandon the whole cable nonsense and multimedia and connect and pivot in a different direction. It's the direction that they're current going. They launched the Game Pass in 2017. It's their subscription service that they're hoping to kind of turn into their own variant of Netflix. I would say that Game Pass has been very successful. It has given it definitely a point of comparison or something to lift it above Sony, I think, in a lot of regards. And it works with like so many different things. It gives you a really good rotating selection of games, including RPGs. And then it also, as part of that, started to include a lot of backwards compatibility. So the games that I bought on my Xbox 360, like Mass Effect Trilogy, Mm -hmm. for example, I can just play right there on my Xbox One, which is extremely cool. But an even better thing that I really like is that they actually did a 4K enhanced editions on their Xbox One X for a couple of big RPGs, they and did. one of them was Witcher 2, Nadia. That's right. There was a big upgrade to Witcher 2. Um, was that around the time Witcher 3 came out? No. Uh, Witcher 3 came out in 2015, uh-huh. and 
Witcher 2 on Xbox One X Enhanced came out around the time that the Xbox One X came out, which was late 2017, early 2018. So you still had something to play. <laughs> it was just last yes. generation. But no, that now was... the thing um, to remember about Witcher 2 is that this was based on the Xbox 360 port. Mm. So when Witcher 2 came out, it was originally a PC exclusive, and then it was eventually ported to the Xbox 360, and they did a really good job with the Xbox 360 port, but it was nowhere near as good as the PC version. So they're working with the port. And so... It still can't reach the heights of the PC version. If you want the definitive X Witcher 2 experience as it stands right now, you definitely want to play the PC version. But they did a very good job with the 4K upgrade. Witcher 2 on Xbox One X is actually le- legitimately beautiful. I almost said it, Xbox Series X. Wow. I keep that, The naming that. conventions on these things are horrible. They're so bad. It's so frustrating. But yes, Microsoft takes backwards compatibility very seriously. And that's a nice thing to see in this age where it is very honestly extremely simple to sell quote unquote remasters and remakes um, to for like a $40 or more to just kind of go back and say, oh, well, here's the game you had. We're going to take the time to give it a nice spit shine and you can have it back for free. That's pretty cool. Fallout 3 was another one. A lot of people like Fallout 3 better than Fallout 4 for various reasons. There were plenty of other RPGs that came out. So if you just bought an Xbox One, you did not get anything else. You had a lot of very good RPGs that came out for it. Uh, I've already mentioned Witcher 3. We did an entire episode devoted to it in the Top 25 RPG Countdown. We've firmly established how CD Projekt became so dominant this current generation. Um it was on both Xbox One and PS4 and PC, so it wasn't like it was an Xbox One joint. I as- I associate it with Xbox One forever. Mm. And one of the things that I really like is the knowledge that I can get a Xbox Series... I can keep playing on an Xbox Series X, so yeah. I can kick uh, the can of playing Blood and Wine expansion even further down the road. <laughs> You can make an excuse. Oh, I'll play it when I get the new Xbox. But they're putting out an even they're putting out another enhanced patch for it as well. So there you go. That's pretty cool. Now you have you really do have an excuse. If I recall correctly, they're actually releasing Series X, a Series X enhanced version of Witcher 3. And you oh. can get a free upgrade if you own it on Xbox One. That's cool. That's really cool. See, that's the kind of thing Microsoft Microsoft right now. I think one of the things they're really working hard on is fostering that goodwill they totally blew on, in 2013. And so far, they're doing a pretty okay job of it, as long as they don't fumble it again. But some of the other big RPGs that came out on the Xbox One at this time, um, a bunch, contrary to its reputation, there were several good JRPGs that came out on the Xbox One, including arguably the definitive edition of Nier Automata, Nadia. That's right. Yeah, Nier Automata got like a, a really good port on the Xbox Three. Uh, sorry, X. God damn it, the Xbox One X. <laughs> Xbox. The, the Xbox, Xbox Three Sixty we X. About. Yes. Series. <laughs> but yes, Nier Automata. Good job, guys. <laughs> yeah, you could play it in four K, which was uh, really nice. It came out like a year later, but hey, it was there, mm-hmm. and it was much better than the PC version, which was pretty broken for a long time. Oh, was it broken? I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. And Final Fantasy 15 came out on the 
Xbox One, as did several of the classic games like Final Fantasy VIII Remastered. So that's right. Yeah. So it's uh, there is quite a bit of Final Fantasy on there if you want to enjoy yourself on uh, on the Final Fantasy front. Yeah, and then beyond that, some of the big budget RPGs that came out over the past generation. I mean, I feel like if you listen to Acts of the Blood God, because Acts of the Blood God existed over the course of this generation, Fallout 4, That's which right. I've said in the past, I like Fallout 4. I'm actually a fan. I love the settlement building. What can I say? I think Far Harbor is some of the best Fallout content I've ever played. I have Fallout 4. It gave me such terrible motion sickness, I couldn't keep playing it. And I think oh, I, already told, I already said that I got a free t-shirt with it, which is good. I use it for swimming. <laughs> And I got a, a, a detergent sample. I'll never understand why. Uh, Divinity Original Sin 1 and 2 came out on the Xbox One after the PC version. came out on other platforms as well, but you could play them. That's good. You can, yeah, it's good. It's accessible. Go check out our top 25 RPG countdown breakdown of Divinity Original Sin, as well as our various interviews. Um, the Outer Worlds came out on Xbox One. Various Wasteland games came out on Xbox One. I've also mentioned Path of Exile. Which is one instance where the Xbox One actually had some benefits over the PS4. Mm-hmm. This was right around the time that Microsoft was making a big bet on PUBG right. as a console exclusive. And the reason that the Path of Exile developers were attracted to the Xbox One was its PC architecture and Microsoft's general push toward indies because PS4 got kind of bored of indies at a certain point. They did. And Microsoft got jumped in and said, we want indies. We need content. Please, oh, for the love of God, we need content. Bring us your tired, your huddle, poor indies. Which resulted in games like Cuphead, so how can I complain too much, right? Yeah, and there is absolutely something to be said for Cuphead number one and PUBG for a while. That was purely Xbox, and that was a big deal. But uh, Path of Exile, as we were kind of already alluding to, a great indie isometric RPG that is very, very, very deep and has an outrageous amount of content and is free to play, but is generally praised for its monetization. It's not completely overbearing. Maybe that's changed over time. I don't mm-hmm. know. Path of Exile 2 is in the works right now. And when it came out on the Xbox One, it was a legit success story on yeah. the Xbox One. People were very excited to have this experience on their console for the first time. Yeah, so it's, I know we've been dumping a lot on the Xbox, mm-hmm. whichever mm-hmm. version we are talking about, because I will confuse them again. So, but there, are, there are certainly success stories, especially later on toward in the console's life. Mm-hmm. I think the Xbox really turned a corner a bit after uh, around 2017. Actually, it became a li- a thing that I would actually want to own. Like, I don't mm-hmm. mind owning my Xbox One X, where I really did not like my Xbox One. <laughs> From 2013 to about 2016. It. It I kind of resented this thing that I got for free. <laughs> that I got for free. Well, at least you could use it for a it doorstop or something. Taking up a lot of room. Taking up a lot of breathing space there. Xbox. I, gave it a, I gave it away to Matt Kim. Did you really? <laughs> Frankly, anybody who gets an Xbox One is going to be actually kind of happy this generation. They're not going to get all so. the best games, but they're going to get a lot of them, right? I think so. And I think given the deals that Microsoft has been conducting, uh, the humongous deals, it's going to actually be a console that you're going to want for exclusives. Yeah, that's the interesting thing. So seemingly because they didn't have any RPG exclusives and RPGs, I would argue, became much more popular this generation. They oh, absolutely. Thanks to Witcher a 3. a very mainstream genre because they started to, 
they fit very well with open world exploration. Mm-hmm. And people like that sense of progression. So Microsoft took a hard look at how successful games like Fallout 4 are and said, why don't we buy spend $7 billion and just buy Bethesda? <laughs> yep, and they sure did. They sure did. And then they went they went and bought all of the RPG studios. They bought Bethesda. They bought Obsidian. They bought that other studio. <laughs> the one founded by Brian Fargo in exile. That's it. <laughs> did I get all of them? They also they still have Playground making Fable. I mean, they have so many RPGs coming around now. They do. They certainly have plans that they are enacting upon. So I expect great things from them this generation. And we've ranked on Microsoft for killing its consoles in the past. They seem Mm -hmm. to see the Xbox One as still being part of the ecosystem because a lot of the games that come out are still going to work on the Xbox One. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, that's like another great opportunity to just push Game Pass if you don't have uh, the money for a new console. Well, no big deal. You have you still have a ton of games you can play on the on the Xbox uh, One that are incredible. Well, I think it'll help that they'll have their cloud streaming service, right? XCloud. Right. Right. So hypothetically, you could play next gen games on your Xbox One just through their streaming service. Wow, that's incredible to think about. Uh, provided it actually works and doesn't hitch all over the place. I mean. People that I know who have played Project X Cloud are really impressed by it. Oh, really? That's cool. So it's not another Google Stadia then? No. I mean, here's the thing. Google Stadia, the technology behind it is actually really good Mm -hmm. for the most part. It's just that it doesn't have any games. By the way, we're not doing a Google Stadia (laughs) console RPG quest. quest. Sorry, Sorry, Google fans, if you're out there, if you love big, huge empires, we really apologize. So I think that there's a lot of promise with the Xbox One, maybe even going forward. Yes, it is. Uh, it, I, I, as you say, as you said perfectly, I don't resent it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so what is the RPG legacy of the Xbox One? Hmm. When I look back uh, on the Xbox One, I don't really think RPGs. I think failure. I think, oh no, we really screwed up a lot. Okay, we got to fix this. And that's where they are right now. And I think that legacy, what little shreds there are, will come to play in the Xbox Series X. I think that the Xbox One's RPG legacy is Xbox One learning the error of its ways and coming into the Blood God's light and embracing the wonders of our favorite genre. Yeah, but leave Cirque du Soleil off on the doorstep, please. We don't want them here. (laughs) Uh, otherwise, I mean, the Xbox One was just always kind of there, right? It doesn't, it never inspired a lot of passion. The PS4 completely dominated it. Nintendo Switch came out, completely dominated it. People just mostly dunked on it for its lack of exclusives and the Kinect and that entire mess. But Microsoft has worked bit by bit to turn around and rebuild things and that kind of thing. I would say its best RPG is Witcher 3, which says a lot because Witcher 3 is on everything. Pretty much. Witcher 3 is, is getting to the point where you can play it on a pregnancy test. <laughs> you should. I would I would enjoy that. Give it a try. Boring. All right. Any final thoughts on the Xbox One, Nadia? Uh, it is... You know, what? I, when I think about it, I think that I am so happy, if nothing else, that this was the generation, and Microsoft was a little slow to pick up on this, but this was the generation that 
game console developers said, you know what? We're not multimedia machines anymore. We are just game consoles. And if you want to use apps for, for Twitch or for YouTube or whatever, go for it. We are not trying to make you weave your cable through us anymore. We are here to play games. We are not here to make you flail around or do crazy things. Just play a damn game. This is when developers realized that there was not money to be made in multimedia apps. There, there was the money to be made in service games. Exactly. That is where all that's where the ching ching is. <laughs> that's where they learned that they could just keep a game going on forever and ever and ever and ever. And that's a topic for another time. And we'll talk about that on the PlayStation 4 console RPG quest because hmm. There were some uh there's cer- there certainly were some trends that oh, happened yeah. in this past generation, weren't there? So. There were. I mean, one of the biggest ones we just saw with Genshin Impact, like that's uh, that's a big trend. That's kind of that free-to-play, mm-hmm. content-heavy mm-hmm. RPG. That's the sort of thing we're going to be seeing a lot more of from now on. I mean, just look at Warframe, right? When it exactly. launched on the PS4. Yeah. Anyway, we will get to that when we cover the PS4, the flip side of this generation, next week. Until then, do you have fun Xbox One memories? Did you buy an Xbox One first and find RPGs to play on it? Is there something that we missed? There's Is there some important point that we made missed about the Xbox One? Share your thoughts. Send me an email at cat.bailey at usgamer.net. Send me a Twitter DM. I'm My DMs are open. Maybe that's a little dangerous. At the <laughs> underscore catbot. Defend your favorite console. Or tell me why I failed. I don't know. <laughs> Do whatever. If you Just have passion for the Xbox One, I want to hear it. Let's continue on to the track of the week, Nadia. Okay, it is time for the track of the week, the segment in which we play some music from an RPG and discuss how it fits in the context because music is so very important to understanding our favorite games and our favorite genre. This week, we're looking back on The Witcher 3, which was the most important RPG of the past generation. And I especially like this song. See if you recognize it. Yes, that is Steel for Humans, one of the combat songs in Witcher 3. It was composed by a team of composers over at CD Projekt, which included the folk group Percival. And if you watch this really cool making of video that I saw as a part of a developer diary in circa around 2016, 2017, it shows how they put it all together with a full orchestra and the the folk band and how the folk yeah. band was completely self-taught. It was really cool, Nadia. Yeah, I watched it as well. And it was really interesting, uh, especially to see those kind of medieval instruments that mm-hmm. uh, 
Uh, first of all, I love the name Hurdy Gurdy. I love the fact that there's an instrument <laughs> out there named Hurdy Gurdy. Like, that's incredible. But yeah, um, the team, much of it, if not all of it, was, was self-taught on these instruments. And uh, that's that's pretty incredible because, of course, Witcher 3 has a great soundtrack. And I just have to say I love the name Steel for Humans because even I understand what that means. <laughs> <laughs> Steel for Humans, Silver for Monsters. Exactly, yeah. You haven't played Witcher Three, and to my knowledge, don't really have any experience with it. What do you? How does? What, what does this music say to you? Uh, I have a little bit of experience. I did play a little bit on my Switch, but I found it a little too um, claustrophobic because the Switch is such a mm. small screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've always kind of had a, a small connection to kind of Slavic music because uh, we were talking earlier about our, our heritage and. Even though I don't think Hungary, uh, Hungary counts as a Slavic country, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, I don't know. But I still definitely have a lot of blood from that part of the world. And it, it kind of makes me think of my my roots, even though obviously I haven't been to that part of the world. But it feels almost comforting in a way for that reason. I like the music in Witcher 3 a lot in general because it is medieval and it fits with the atmosphere really well. But also it's kind of mournful and is yeah. especially relaxing but not boring it's not just ambient music it has its own personality which is not something that you necessarily see a ton of in modern AAA rpgs so yeah. when you're wandering the world in witcher 3 it really stands out um we were playing witcher 3's soundtrack in our house for quite a while and that's oh, like cool. really nice background music when you're just chilling out and reading a book or something it's uh it's music to drink mead by <laughs> I liked that uh, the composers and this medieval band, uh, Percival, sorry, folk band, would just disappear. They would just take all their instruments and some alcohol and they would sit and jam for a while. <laughs> That's right. Uh, go- according to the documentary, they locked themselves in a room. And I missed the part with the alcohol, but I can believe that was involved. I imagine. Of course, they had alcohol. Come on. All, all creative people, they they drink of the devil's milk. <laughs> And I, I just like the idea of jamming on medieval instruments. That's pretty rad. That would be a lot of fun if you're the kind of person who just kind of instinctively knows music, which it sounds like this team does, and just, you know, work off each other and, and, and make something out of that. That'd be, that'd be a lot of fun. The lyrics in Steel for Humans, by the way, is, Be happy, be happy, O Lazarus, Lazarus, here we're told, that as there are leaves in the forest, that much health be given to this home. We have come here to find the boy a girl, wed the girl, wed the boy, be happy, be happy. So it's a wedding song, apparently. It's a wedding song to kill humans by. Yeah. Well, that kind of makes sense because Witcher 3 is very much a game about relationships. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's a relationship between Geralt and Ciri, Geralt and Triss, Geralt and Yennefer, the Bloody Baron, uh, the entirety of Heart of Stone. I mean, there are a lot of a lot of meditations on good relationships, bad relationships, failed relationships, abusive relationships. It's a great game, Nadia. You need to play it. Yeah, I know I would enjoy it. And uh, I, I always appreciate that kind of depth of content in a game that's even at its core just about like killing griffins. And I know that I don't know if Cyberpunk itself will be good, but I do know that the soundtrack is going to kick butt because it's pretty much the same people. And we've already seen, uh, what, they went to Iceland, was it? And yeah. were recording there. And it seemed that seemed like the most authentic, authentic and badass element of that entire production. Oh, man. Can you imagine, like, recording music under, like, the Northern Lights or something? That'd be real <laughs> metal. 
No, that is. Oh, what's more metal than the Northern Lights, right? Exactly. Jeez. That's as as metal as it gets. All right. That is the track of the week. If you want to contribute your own track, send me a letter at cat.bailey at yosgamer.net or send me a DM. We have a couple of track of the weeks in the backlog. I have received them. Don't worry. And I will go ahead and add them later. I just wanted to do Witcher 3 this week because we were talking about the Xbox One. It was just thematically appropriate. All right, Nadia, it's letter time. Letter time, it's letter time. The first question is from Original Gentleman. Going off on all the articles here, I found that they were discontinuing the 3DS slash 2DS, so I went and bought one. Doing Mm. this allowed me to finally trade and get an Alakazam again like I was in middle school. Congratulations. (laughs) Enjoy your Alakazam. Now that I can trade between the various versions of Nintendo DS Pokemon that I have, I want to play through kind of in the Ash way with the starter of each element and an EV that becomes a Jolteon. What game do I need to have to transfer Pokemon to the Pokemon Bank, and which of the 3DS Pokemon games would you recommend I try? In terms of the more modern games, I think that the game that you definitely want to get on the 3DS is Sun, uh, Ultra Sun or Ultra Moon which are the most recent Pokemon games to come out. Pokemon games, when a Pokemon game comes out, it's always the latest version of a particular generation. Going back is like going back to an older patch on an MMORPG or something. So Sun and Moon is kind of the one that you want to get. And barring that, Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire is like a fun return to Hoenn and has a lot of older Pokemon as well. So one of those two. The thing that disappoints me about Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon is they I hear that they nerfed the story a bit because the story was a little dark in Sun and Moon with the... Uh, I mean, it's kind of the same to me. I don't remember it being any different. Basically, uh, I, I, I can't remember the name of the mother. Everyone is in love with her and she's just real savage. But uh, she was really nasty to her kids in the original. And apparently they kind of smoothed that out a bit, uh, made her like less of a, a negligent mother who literally abandoned her children because she went crazy trying to find her lost husband who was just kind of enjoying himself in a lost dimension, completely <laughs> oblivious to the fact that his family was falling apart. So, yeah, I, I, didn't, I haven't played Ultra Sun, Ultra Moon myself, but I do hear that was just kind of changed and it was a little disappointing. I like it when Pokemon gets a little dark. In Ultra Sun, Ultra Moon, the nice thing is you can, if you get to the end of that game, you can do these wormhole travels, and then mm-hmm. you can capture a lot of legendary Pokemon that way. So it's a little bit like the Dynamax uh, thing going on in uh, Crown Tundra. Yes, then. It's a, that's its own variation of Crown Tundra. Uh-huh. You're flying through time and space in the back of a giant bat. That's pretty cool. I did like the bat Pokemon. I like bats. <laughs> so if you want to enact your plan of getting a starter of each element plus an Eevee, I don't know, get a Pokemon Red and Blue, Pokemon Red or Blue on 3DS Virtual Console. Uh, get a Charmander, get a Bulbasaur, get a uh, Squirtle, throw them into Pokemon Bank, and then go and get an Eevee, and then put that in Pokemon Bank as well, and then you're good to go, right? Make sure you physically throw them. You, you can't gently place them in the bank. You must throw them, otherwise it won't work. <laughs> <laughs> Did they hit the wall? Oh, that's, that's so mean. I'm sorry, we've been recording for a long time. (laughs) Also, last week we talked about genres that RPGs could kind of adopt and create new and interesting permutations on. I like the idea of a RPG battle royale dungeon crawler. I Mm -hmm. thought that was kind of a nifty idea. That was my favorite idea, I think. 
Uh, FTL Manta says, maybe a battle royale wouldn't work for RPGs, but maybe a shared pool draft like Magic the Gathering? You draft parties and equipment from a shared pool and pass anything you shouldn't could, don't take to your opponents and then face off against a set of shared challenges with some type of interaction between the outcomes for different players. I could see that being fun. And then they also said, just saw that Nintendo is releasing the first Fire Emblem in the English and I am so, so excited. I was hopeful that the late Echoes label and Shadows of Valencia meant that they were going to start a line of re-releases and was sad that it never panned out. Even a series of straight ports and translations of the old SNES games would make my day. Bringing in one of the few good additions from the modern games, the turn rewind is even better. So cool. Yeah, I think I got some people riled up on Twitter unintentionally when I said that all the hardcore people were going to have to put their money where their mouth is now. I didn't mean anything mean by it. I'm sorry. I just, I'm one of those people who really did start enjoying Fire Emblem with Awakening and Three Houses and the, the, the kinder, gentler Fire Emblem. And uh, yeah, uh, I wasn't trying to, to hate on you if you really like hardcore dying. You like to see your, your comrades die in pain. Like that's on you. That's great. I, I salute you. I, I didn't I mean only to play in up. classic. I don't play in casual mode. Are you going to be uh, skipping the um, save states and whatnot here, Kat? Yes. <laughs> Who are you now? Okay, we'll see about yeah. that. Or All maybe right. not. I don't know. Maybe Maybe <laughs> I'm past that. Maybe I'm too old for it. Yeah, I'm not sure how well balanced the first game is, to be honest with you. Uh, that's a classic. Okay, that is the end of our episode. Thanks for listening. As always, if you enjoy the show, make sure to leave a review over on iTunes, Stitcher, or the podcatcher of your choice. I am on Twitter at the underscore catbot. Nadia is at Nadia Oxford, and I'm streaming at twitch.tv slash TV. We will be back, as always, next week to continue our quest into exploring all of the wonderful things about RPGs. And Nadia, apparently people do listen to this because I got some emails from Wii U stands. <laughs> you go, Wii U stands. I appreciate you. You go, Wii U stands. And on that note, thanks to everybody for listening. We'll be back next week. And until then, for Nadia and myself, happy adventuring. Happy adventuring.